So I was your age once, and I was at a school in Minneapolis, and I was a part of a class that was called Evangelism and Discipleship. And part of the class was that um, we could, for extra credit, be, be an altar worker for an evangelist that was coming through town. Now, for those of you who aren't familiar with this kind of um, culture, I guess, uh, these evangelists would, would travel around the country going from city to city, and various churches would gather together. They'd rent out a really large facility, and this evangelist would come in, present the gospel message, ask anyone who wanted to make a commitment to Christ, and they would come down to the altar and receive Jesus as Lord. And so I was one of the altar workers. I was one of the ones who was going to get to pray with these students or these people as they came forward. And I was really excited about it because, you know, all of heaven rejoices when one sinner that's lost comes to the saving knowledge of Jesus. And, um, you know, he leaves the 99 to go find the one. So I was really excited. I thought, I'm going to be at the front row seat to a party in heaven tonight. This was going to be awesome. So I arrive and I'm sitting there and I'm listening to the speaker and it's a pretty typical uh, evangelistic message you might hear, you know, drugs, alcohol, sex, the whole thing. Found Jesus, saved me out of it all, and you can be saved too if you would just accept Jesus as Lord. Uh, who wants to do that? Pans all over the place went up. And he proceeded to play, I believe I can fly on his saxophone as people came forward. That was a little weird for me. <laughs> Needless to say, a kid came forward and he came right toward me and I thought, sweet. And I said, what's your name? He said, my name's Nick. I said, hey Nick, I said, I'm John, nice to meet you. I said, I'm so excited that you came down and you want to pray. I said, is this your first time at an event like this? And no, no. Okay. I said, well, um, have you ever received Jesus as Lord of your life before? Is this the first time you're going to pray this? And no, no, I've done it a lot. I did it as a kid. I said, oh, okay. I said, uh, do you go to these kind of events often? Yeah. Yep. I said, so what, what are you doing here? And he said, I said, do you want to rededicate your life? I said, are you, you know, struggling with sin? And he said, well, the guy asked if I wanted Jesus in my heart. Of course I want Jesus in my heart. So I came down to get prayed for. And I thought, oh, well, huh, yeah, okay. So I prayed for him. And that night I left and I walked home and I thought, I got a lot of things to sort out about what it means to be saved, what it means to have Jesus in your heart, and what it means to be born again. We're going through the book of John to this series, and if you remember, we ended last week, and the chapter closes, it says, he did many miraculous signs and many believed in his name. And so here we pick up the story. It says, now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council, and he came to Jesus at night, and he said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs that you're doing unless God, were, unless God were not with him. But Jesus replied, very truly, that means this is the truth, pay attention. No one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Well, how can, be, how can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. So Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. You see, the wind, it blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. And so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Well, how can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, 
and you do not understand these things. Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But still, you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? Look, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Well, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. God's word for us this morning. Nicodemus is a member of the Jewish ruling council. That means there were 70 guys that were the most powerful people in all of Israel in both a political and religious spectrums. He was extremely educated and very wealthy. This guy was powerful. Many, um, many of the commentators I read believe that he was probably one of the top, most five influential people in all of Israel at that time. And here he comes to Jesus at night. It's an interesting detail that John's gospel adds. And it could be for a number of reasons. Most people speculate, and I agree, that he came to Jesus at night because he wanted in some ways to preserve his reputation. He might have been a little afraid that being seen with Jesus would cause a little bit of controversy. And this guy had a pretty big reputation to uphold. He was really interested in Jesus. There was something about this man that fascinated him. The miracles that he was doing. The way that he taught. The authority that he had. And he wanted to see him for himself. So he comes to Jesus at night. Could be that he was really busy during the day. I mean, the guy was probably running businesses and teaching and doing all these things. And rabbis often got together at night to teach and talk. So it could be that it was just practical. It also could be John does a lot with literary work in his gospel. And in the first chapter, if you'll remember, it's a delight of the world. Light came into the world, but the darkness did not understand it. Could not understand it. It could be that John is setting up religious darkness that's about to encounter the light of life. So Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night, and he says, Rabbi. He humbles himself. Rabbi literally means master. So Nicodemus, this man of prominence and power, comes to this rogue, up-and-coming leader teacher, and he submits himself in many ways to his teaching, and he says, I want to learn from you. And he comes to him in humility. He's curious. And he says, look, we know that you've come from God. He's representing probably a group of people. And he says, we know that you have come from God. Because no one could do what you're doing unless they'd come from God. So not only is he curious and humble, he's also pretty astute. He's noticing that there's something here that he has to pay attention to. And at this point, I'm thinking... Good job, Nicodemus. Way to go. You're a true seeker. And Jesus responds by saying, yeah, the truth is actually that unless you're born again, you're never even going to see the kingdom. Whoa, easy. Jesus doesn't always treat seekers. Like, how about a little hospitality here? This guy's coming to you. This rich, powerful guy is coming to you pretty humbly. And you basically just said, yeah, no. What's going on? Well, in the book of John, all these characters encountered Jesus that represent groups of people. And for Nicodemus, he actually represents the religious institution of Israel. This is the people who find their identity in their national religion. 
These are the people who grow up in the Christian home, who go to the Christian school, who attend the Christian church twice on Sunday, and who go and they live Christian lives. These are the people who find their identity in being saved because of their religious affiliation. When I was in Sioux Falls, I, I led a lot of worship teams, and one guy wanted to come and play on one, and I always interview people and talk to him, and I said, so tell me a little bit about your relationship with God. And he said, well, so my parents were Christian Reformed, and so I grew up in a Christian Reformed church, and you guys are a Reformed church, so here I am. I was like, punchline coming? And that was it. Do you remember in, in the book of Matthew, when John the Baptist sees the Pharisees coming? He says, you brood of vipers. He's like, who warned you to come? You think you're safe because you're Abraham's children. Well, I tell you what, God can raise up children of Abraham out of these stones. It's not going to work. Your religious identity and affiliation, you see yourself as God's chosen people and you think that's all that matters, but you've divorced your spiritual reality from your religious affinity. It's not enough. Nicodemus represents a second group of people. And these are the educated, the religious elite. Nicodemus was a man of the word. He knew his Old Testament inside and out probably better than anybody else in the nation. If you got in a conversation or an argument with him, he could show you exactly why he was right and where in Scripture it said that. He was a man of the book. He did, well, it was the Old Testament, of course, at that time. But he knew the Torah. He knew the law of God back and forth. He was a teacher of religious law. What does Jesus say in John 5, 39? He says, look, you diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you will find eternal life. But all the scriptures do is testify about me and still you refuse to come to me to have life. Jesus is saying it's not enough to know your Bible. I know some really great theologians whose hearts are very far from God. Knowing this book is not enough. You cannot substitute it for salvation. The third group of people he represents are what I call the curious seekers. These are people who in all nobility, they desire wisdom. How many of you in here want wisdom? I want wisdom. Wisdom is a good thing, right? And Nicodemus is standing, coming to Jesus seeking wisdom. But here's the thing about seeking wisdom. If Jesus is an option, if he's one of the things that you lay before you to evaluate and consider and then make an informed decision on, he's not God. If you're sitting on the throne making the decisions based on your own criteria, evaluating and scrutinizing Jesus, he's not God to you. You're on the throne. He's not. The response to Jesus is to fall before him in worship as our Lord and our God, the only one who possesses life eternal that can save us from the disease of sin and death that we're under. Seeking wisdom is maybe pretty noble, but it's dangerous if we do it from our own perspective, from the thrones of our own heart. And I think Nicodemus represents these three people. And Nicodemus looks at Jesus, he's like, how can this be? All right, who in here keeps their birth certificate on their person? Who has their birth certificate right now on you? Anybody? Nobody's got your birth certificate. How in the world would you prove to me that you've been born? Really? 
Obviously, your simple existence proves that you were born. Flesh gives birth to flesh. I can see you. I can touch you. I know it's there. I know that you've been born. But the Spirit, that's a little bit more curious, isn't it? Jesus said it's like the wind. You can see the effects, but you actually can't see it. You don't know where it's coming from or where it's going. That's how it is with people who have the Spirit of God. All right. Everybody knows what this is. This is my wedding ring. All right. This wedding ring says more about me than, I, than that I like to wear gold jewelry, doesn't it? It's a symbol that when you see it on me, you know that there's something much more to me. There's a much bigger story. There is someone else that I live in covenant relationship of love and fidelity with. I have a wife, and she is the other part of my story. Like we are one together. And when you see this ring, it tells you, it's a sign that I'm married, right? Then what would happen, for instance, if I would take my ring off to, I don't know, play basketball or something, and I drop it and it goes down the drain and I lose it? And I go home. Am I still married? Depends how mad my wife is. <laughs> of course I'm still married, right? And she wouldn't get mad. She'd say, well, I suppose we have to go get a new one or something. But what if I kept my ring on and I flew down to South America tonight and I found a new lady and I never talked to or spoke to my wife again as long as I live and I kept this on? Would I be married then? On paper? And only as long as she decided, my wife decided that she wanted to keep that around. You see, if I gave this ring to you, Afton, if I, if I said, will you hold on to my ring and you held it, would you be married? No. Baptism in our faith is, is a, it's a sacrament that we say is a sign, is a seal and a sign of an inward work. It's an outer sign of an inward grace, something that happens inside of us. But I think if I asked any one of you, if I grilled you, if I said, if you were baptized with water and we watched you, are you saved? Well, no. But what it is is an invitation into the family of God. You're now a part of a covenant community that lives together and creates opportunities to love and to serve and to bless Jesus. So it is with the Spirit. And Nicodemus says, okay, how in the world does this work? And Jesus says, Nicodemus, man, of all people, you have to get this. Religious, you grew up in the faith. You know the scriptures better than anyone. You have got to get this. He said it's all over the Old Testament. The prophets prophesied about it. Jeremiah said, look, it's going to be a new covenant. I'm going to put it in your minds. I'm going to write it on your hearts. You're not going to have to teach people about me anymore because they have the opportunity to know me. And then in Ezekiel, listen to what he says. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all of your impurities and from all of your idols. I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you a heart of stone, and I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit in you to move and follow my decrees so that you will be careful to follow me. In Psalm 51, David's crying out to God, and he says, look, you don't delight in sacrifices. 
You don't care about these burnt offerings, these songs, these instruments, these forms of worship. It doesn't matter to you if my heart's not humble and contrite, if you're not God. Jesus is saying it's all over in the scriptures. I'm after your heart. And then Jesus makes this really interesting reference to Moses. See, Moses was the most revered and prominent person in all of Israelite history. And they were waiting for a new Moses to arise, someone who would come to the aid and rescue Israel again. And listen to what Jesus says. He makes this obscure reference in Numbers. So the Lord, oh, this is because Israelites sinned and fell away from God, and so the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people. Many were bitten and they died. And then the people came to Moses and they cried out, We've sinned by sprinkling or by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray for us that the Lord will take away the snakes. So Moses prayed for the people. And then, all, and then the Lord told them, he said, Moses, make a replica of a poisonous snake and attach it to a pole. Then all who were bitten will live if they simply look up at it. So Moses made a snake of bronze, attached it to a pole, and anyone who was bitten by a snake could look at the bronze snake and be healed. Look, I know you're waiting for a prophet like him again to arise. But guess what, Nicodemus? I'm not Moses. In fact, I'm more than Moses. I'm more like the snake on the pole. That when you look up at me, you can find your healing. And you can find true life eternal. And you can be cured and healed from the sin, the disease that entangles you and that is permeated throughout all of our world. He says, I'm not the messenger. I'm not the pole holder. I'm the one who gives life. I'm the solution. I'm the satisfier. One of my favorite songs right now is by Bethel and it's called, God, I Look to You. And it's just this very simple reminder of where we put our eyes. God, I look to you because you are where my help comes from. Give me vision so I can see things the way that you do. I want to see you, Jesus, in the fullness of your glory. I want the Spirit of God to live in me and to open my eyes to see the reality of who you are sitting on the throne. You're no longer on the pole. How many of you know now he sits on the throne? And he rules and reigns, and he allows us just by looking to him, salvation and life. He offers it to us. In Matthew, Jesus is talking, and he says, hey, remember when I was sick, and you didn't take care of me? Remember when I needed clothes, and you didn't clothe me? Remember when I was poor, and you didn't help me out? And they're like, no, when did we see you, Jesus? We didn't see you. And Jesus said, depart, because you didn't know me. I never knew you. God, I look to you. Give me vision to see things, people, situations, the way that you do. Holy Spirit, fill me inside like a, a well, a, a river of living water that comes up and flows out so that the world that I see, the activities that I engage in, the people whose eyes I look into, I see Jesus. Do you guys know why it's good and awesome to feed the poor and to clothe, uh, feed the poor and to clothe the naked and to visit the sick? 
It's not just so that they have a better day or that we do nice things. It's so that we can see Jesus. Jesus is the satisfier. He's the only one who brings us life eternal. So I ask you this morning, what is the testimony of your life? I'm going to have the band come up and they're going to offer a song for us to join along in. Do you feel alive on the inside right now? Yeah. (laughs) Do you feel alive on the inside this morning? Are we relying on our religion, on our education? Are we substituting those things in place of worshiping God by looking to Him? Are we sitting on the throne of our own heart trying to evaluate things based on our own understanding? Or today are we submitting our hearts to the King of kings and the Lord of lords who sits on the throne? I invite you to close your eyes. This morning during worship, we sang a song earlier and it said, I wonder if I'll ever change. And I felt like the Lord just spoke to my heart right there and said, there's, there's someone or some ones in this room right now who are wondering that question. I wonder if I'll ever be able to change. And if that's you this morning, I want to pray with you after this service. You can come and find me. You're wondering in your heart if you'll ever be able to change. There's stuff you've done, there's things you wrestle with, and you're just struggling, and you just do not feel the hope of the living Christ that we sang about earlier. You don't feel alive inside. You don't feel the presence of the Holy Spirit in your heart. Jesus said the promise is for you to look at the one who was lifted up and exalted and be healed and find true life. So if that's you this morning, come and find me after the service. I want to pray for you. For the rest of us, I invite you to stand right now as we worship and sing to the king of our heart. And if you need to rededicate your life, if you need to find again the place of prominence where Jesus rules and reigns, then do that in your own spirit right now. Look to him.